Welcome to Giving Head, the podcast. Wondering what head stands for? What H is for happiness, E for empowerment, and D for development. This is the podcast that will discuss topics from the 40-year-old perspective. This is where we will help to navigate you through this new chapter of your life. I'm your host, Sherry, and my co-host is named Kim. To join this community, push the subscribe button to get all the latest head episodes. And to help our head message grow, don't forget to rate us and leave a comment as well. Find us on Instagram and Facebook at Giving Head. H-E-D. Now let's get into it. Welcome to Giving Head, the podcast. And on this episode, we have our male feature for this month, and his name is Jamal Hartman. He is an innovative entrepreneur, talk show host, and strategic business professional. He's been fortunate enough to have worked with many influential people throughout various industries, which has afforded him the opportunity to successfully utilize his craft to help build and improve businesses and brands. Whether he's working for others or himself, his goal is to inspire growth and improvement by executing new ideas in ways that others are not bold enough to attempt. Outside of his professional career, he has done his share of community service as a youth soccer coach, both in Bermuda and the U.S., while also known for his activism as a member of Bermudians Against the Draft and famously known for helping to end conscription in Bermuda. Tune into this episode. We get into all the goods about the Bermudians Against the Draft, how Jamal was instrumental in ending conscription, how collaboration is not competition. Telling you this is a good episode, guys. You want to tune in and listen to it. Enjoy. Welcome to Giving Head, the podcast. We have our male feature for the month, and his name is Jamal Hartman. Jamal, welcome. Thanks for having me. I finally got an invite. I, I feel appreciated. Yes, you did. And I wouldn't say finally. You, you have, like I say, I've been on my list way always. I have to show you the piece of paper is all wrinkly and all that good stuff. So I'm just glad that this is able to happen and that we are able to have you here. Now, is this your first podcast? Yeah, I believe this is the first podcast I've been on the other side. Yeah. Oh, awesome. How does it feel thus far? Can I say I'm nervous? Nah. <laughs> It's good. I, I like conversation. So it's all good. Okay. Well, when we start our podcast, we always ask everyone to tell us about where they were born and raised. Tell us about that. Well, you know, uh, born in that hospital in Paget in Bermuda that everyone's <laughs> born in. But um, I'm, I'm a Bermudian, uh, born and raised Marsh Folly boy, um, porn dog, as they call us, right? And yes. uh, spent my entire childhood in Bermuda. It wasn't until I left Bermuda for college at I think I was 19 or 20 that I went to Huntsville, Alabama. And from that point, the majority of my adulthood has been spent outside of Bermuda all but three years when I was in Bermuda 2007 to 2010. And I was working at Interisland Communications, which is the parent company of Hot 107.5 and Magic 102.7. Awesome. Huntsville, which school did you attend? I actually went to J.F. Drake State Technical College. That's a story within itself. I legit a friend of mine, close friend of mine was in school. Like, well, pretty much I hadn't seen him in a while. Right. And one summer he showed up on my doorstep. They said, where you been? And he said, oh, I'm in college. I said, what are you doing? He's told me computer science. 
So he left. I told my mother, hey, I wanted to go to school. And she's like, to do what? I said, computer science. And that's really <laughs> the story of how I ended up in Huntsville. Once I got there and went to the school, I realized I like talking too much to sit up on a computer and just try to fix it every day. And then ended up transferring and um, taking on a dual major in business and video and radio production. And so... Wow. And I went to Alabama A&M University. And my story is similar where my best friend was going to school in Atlanta. She was at Morris Brown. And um, I just knew if I went to school in Atlanta, that it wouldn't be the best thing because I would be shopping, partying and doing this. And I legit looked at a map and saw how far it was from her. And I chose Huntsville. I went to the school on site, on scene and graduated with a degree <laughs> in social work. We have those similarities. <laughs> that was the story with pretty much every school I attended, every <laughs> last one, even when I transferred. And mine too, as far as when I went to get my um, master's, I went to Bowling Green State University and shout out to Donna Edwards. He was like, oh, that's where I went to get my master's and they're looking for minorities and they're giving away money. You should check it out. And I sure did. And I got some money and I got a degree. <laughs> there you go, right? It all worked out in the end. It all worked out. But tell us about your family dynamics. You said you're a porn dog. How did your family dynamics, how is that set up? My family's interested in it, the both sides of the pond. So my mother's family were over on the Marsh Folly side. My father's family was over on the other side, on um, Parsons Road, Angle Street. But I was raised with my mother, um, all women pretty much, Nana, and my sister beneath me. We all grew up. And um, yeah, I mean, as much criticism as single parents take, I can honestly say if I'm the product of a single parent home, I mean, I'm not championing it or anything, but I think I'm just one of few who pretty much have done okay for themselves. But yeah, it's me and my sister under me. That's She's the one I grew up with um, directly. Uh-huh. I also have two other sisters. My youngest sister is actually following in my footsteps as far as being a university student at Johnson & Wales University. Awesome. My father's a self-employed electrician. And oh. he's been doing that. Interestingly, as far back as I can remember, he always says, do you remember when I worked there? No, but he's a self-electrician. <laughs> My mother actually, though she is a civil servant, she's always worked for herself as well and decided and done things. Um, so I come from a family of workers, just people that have always worked, worked, worked for what they want. Well, again, similarities. My father was electrician. <laughs> Really? Uh, yeah, my significant other is ironically. So he was, and then my father transitioned into being a prison officer. Okay. So yeah, definitely we're becoming kindred spirits as this interview goes on. But <laughs> how did that upbringing help shape you into the person you are today? Man, I mean, gee, you want to talk about my childhood. You're really trying to get me. Yeah. <laughs> Honestly, I was not what people would consider a good child growing up. Mm. I There were a lot of um, issues, especially I did not like school. Okay. To this day, I still have a problem with authority. And so those create challenges for anybody. But the great thing about my mother especially is when she understood what she was dealing with, she sought help in various ways, whether that was counseling mm. or you know doing extra classes, going to you know, do tutoring and so on to help with my formal education, but it was challenging. And so I think advice from, you know, parents and people around you, because it was a village, you know, I had all my uncles and 
even godparents present. I know right now we live in a time where people just name the whole damn neighborhood godparent, right? Yes. But, you know, my godparents were very present in my life when I was growing up. So I think they all played a role in ensuring that, you know what, this guy's going to be okay. He's going to make it. And so for me, you know, I remember my mother saying, one thing that really made me want to you know, do what I'm doing in life. And she said, look, the streets don't have no pension. Well, mm. me, I learned what pension was earlier. Pension is pretty much after you're no longer able to work or when you retire, you have something that can support your life that you can live off of. And those were things I always looked at. Um, with a criminal record, you're not going to be able to go overseas to further education, which again, I was not an academic, but I always understood the opportunity and the day may come. So you don't want to ruin those kinds of things. So simple little comments like that that were made to me, those are the kind of things that I would take on. And, you know, I didn't know what I wanted to do in life. I mean, I didn't. I had an inclination, like I had had an idea. I said, hmm, maybe I should get into radio or People would try to push me to law because I talked a lot. I never really knew. I had a slight idea, but never was assured that this could be it. Wow. You said a couple of things. I wasn't good with authority. The streets have no pension. I love that. That, that quote right there. With not being open to authority, was that, would you think that was a lack of having a father in the home consistently or being able to just, you had a strong mother and, or it was just in you? No, I think having issues with authority is mean. And to this day, I still feel this way. Mm-hmm. I've been a coach. I've been a mentor. I don't believe in just telling people to do stuff, young children or anybody, right? Mm-hmm. I believe in explaining why we're doing it rather than just telling them to do stuff. And so when I, my issue with authority growing up was, you know, people telling me what to do. And to this day, don't tell me what to do. Explain to me, hey, let's do this. And this is why it's easier for me. And so that's mm-hmm. what those were my issues with authority. Um, when I coach or mentor children, it's like, look, if I'm coaching um, football, soccer, however we want to call it, mm-hmm. I'm explaining to you what this is the reason we're doing this so that when a player comes this way, we can defend it easier. We're doing this so that when we get to this point, it's easier to get a shot off and score a goal. So I just felt like it's a way to mentor. It's a way to coach. It's a way to teach. And sometimes people get caught up in the whole um, authority factor. Like I'm in charge here rather than, you know what, work with people rather than telling people what to do. And it was something interesting. You also said that your mother understood you at an early age, which you say that helped to at least your transition through your years, because, you know, you have authority as far as with teachers, right? So instead of your mom necessarily taking teacher's side in every situation, she understood her child well enough to know kind of where he was coming from. Did that make things a little bit easier for you in the household or do you think you still get licks? (laughs) She she took the teacher's side, all right. (laughs) But no, I I think understanding me just knowing like what's going to irritate or activate. I think the challenge back then, especially in the 80s and early 90s was teachers, at least the ones that I gave challenges to. Yeah. I explained this on a recent episode of Daily Hour. It's like, I would have been considered a bad student Mm -hmm. and not a bad student because I was actually a bad kid or anything, but because of how education went back then. It's like, if the child's not doing as every other child, then they're a bad student instead of being able to cater to what my strengths were. 
And I think that's where my mother was grew up because, you know what, she knew her child from that respect. She knew like, okay, this is what we have to do. That's all we have to deal with it. Right. So as I mentioned earlier, you're our male feature for today. So we feel that males have a point of view that's very important. So discuss with us some struggles as a man that you have endured and how did you get through it? Or how did you not throw? And also, how did you not throw in the towel? That's easy. Bermudians against the draft. Mm-hmm. For those who And don't explain know. that. Yeah, explain yeah. that. So conscription was one of the law books. I was actually drafted in, I want to say 2000 to go into the Bermuda Regiment. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was not interested in going. I, again, this goes back to the whole authority thing, right? Right. I went up there and did six months before heading away to school. It was the worst six months of my life. And I say that because it's an inconvenience. Number one, you know, you're up there, you're trying to save for school and it's just this you know, boy, you better do this. And I'm just like, I could not take it serious. Like you're literally talking down to young men who are out here trying to do something with their lives and acting like this is a service to a country. No, it it wasn't to me. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, there were times it was an exhausting fight. It was an expensive fight. Mm -hmm. The hardest thing was that, you know, you read stories, you've heard stories of how black people fought so hard against certain like laws just like this. And the saddest part was that so many of those Black people, along with other Black people, did not understand what we were fighting for because we had been conditioned. There were generations of Bermudians who were conditioned to believe that conscription was okay. It was service to your country. It was discipline for Black men, right? Mm -hmm. And I would always say to people, I'm not going to dispute that there's some good people that were conscripted and became better for it. But there were also some good prisoners, criminals that went to prison and came out great people as well. Some came out fools, right? Mm -hmm. Do we now say that we need to imprison young men so that they become better? As a Black man, it really, really disappointed me that more Black people did not stand up to this outdated, archaic, and what I deem racist law. And people say, well, how is it racist? They uh, conscript white people too. Right. Well, they conscripted a disproportionate number of black males. So if Mm -hmm. you look at the number of black men in Bermuda versus the amount of black men that were conscripted versus white, you will see the difference. Okay. And with that being said, as the struggle that you endured in doing it, you indicated that it was an expensive struggle and one that a fight. Did you feel that there were many that stood behind you in this fight? Or was it something that, like you said, we were just conditioned to believe and to think? Because I remember hearing, when did this, what years was this that took place? We first went to court, I want to say 2008, we went to Supreme Court. Okay. Court case was filed 2007, I believe, went to court uh, 2008. It was ongoing for years. And no, we didn't have a lot of support. It cost us friendships, um, Mm -hmm. you know, family issues, Mm -hmm. right? It caused a lot of issues. And I don't think people quite understand how hard it was. Mm -hmm. We're fighting to end a law that impacts people. Throughout our court cases, we exposed a lot of things like the sexual abuse. Now, people mm-hmm. will say, well, there's sexual abuse in it. Uh, other places that don't conscript. The, the difference is when people are forced to be in this environment versus when they're not forced to be in an environment. It's a big difference. And all you were fighting for, and I'm going to say all you were fighting for, was it for it to be a choice? 
Yeah, pretty much. If I have no problem, if, if people want to volunteer and go to the Bermuda Regiment, that's on them. Mm-hmm. What we should not be doing in any year after 2000 is forcing anyone against their will that has not committed a crime outside of being born in Bermuda mm-hmm. to go into. It puzzles me to this day how Black people could not comprehend everything that was wrong with that law. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And what do you say to the people that say, well, you should fight for your country. You should go into the regiment to protect your country. You're saying that that is something that we should do, but on a voluntary basis, not should do, but be given it an option rather than a demand. Again, if people want to go and do that, feel free. But mm-hmm. at the end of the day, there's more ways to fight for your country and give back to your country than being forced into a a military that, to be honest, it's not a real military. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not. Um, if people want to make light of, well, they clean up after hurricanes. Well, the United States has FEMA, right? Okay. Create a FEMA. Mm-hmm. There's no excuse for conscripting young men into the regiment. And so you ask the question about giving up and throwing in a towel. Yes. There were times that you're just like, really, what are we fighting for? Like, we're, we're not even fighting for us at this point. Mm-hmm. Like fighting for us would have meant just trying to go and get exempted. Right. But we right. were fighting to end the law because it was bigger than the individuals involved. This was a law that we knew was wrong. Mm-hmm. And again, because of the conditioning of the population, because of the conditioning of the Bermudian people, not enough people understood this. Right. And you say we, who along with you were in this fight? On the writ, I believe 14 men in total, led mm. by Larry Marshall Sr. And, you know, main proponents, you had Larry Marshall Jr. and uh, Lamont Marshall, his brother. And so these individuals, both of the Marshall brothers, well-known runners in the community, yes. uh, it cost us. You know, these guys could have probably been to the Olympics, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's cost. One of them wasn't able to go get the master's degree. You know, we talk about celebrating people and honoring people. And I don't think that the fight to end conscription gets the respect that it deserves, mainly right. because the population was so smitten with the idea of the Bermuda Regiment. Mm. Where did it end and what was the ending of it all? So we lost every case in court. Um, I remember mm-hmm. we said it was discriminatory and the Privy Council actually agreed with the QC that the government had said it is discriminatory, but it's discriminatory against women, not men. If people actually read our case and saw how they ruled against us and what Mm -hmm. they ruled against us on, you would understand how we were railroaded by a system that's not designed to protect Black people. But it wasn't until the Bermuda Progressive Labor Party got back in power in July of 2017 that they moved forward. And in June of 2018, they finally pass legislation to end conscription into the Bermuda Regiment. Awesome. And with that being said, you talk about the struggle and how you didn't throw in the towel. And and I'm sure that your voice and your wanting to heal conversations were a great part of that. I know you took to the media airwaves to express how you feel. And I know media seems to be your passion. Tell us about your education and how that journey got you in front of a mic. Yeah, that's an interesting one. So uh, like I said, I, I remember when I was at Cedar Bridge, I think it was. Uh, oh my, my God, Cedar Bridge. Oh my Yes. God. Yeah. I was first graduating class there. Yes. I'm, I'm, oh I'm, my yeah. God. I feel uh, ill. Don't do that. Don't do that. 
<laughs> no, at Cedar Bridge, I was a first graduating class and I was in an English class with Joanne Tucker-Smith. And she was actually probably one of the first people who mentioned to me about getting into communications and radio. And I remember VJ, um, Valerie um, Lita at the time, she was at the uh, Valerie Ferbert now at uh, Apollo 95. And she told me, come up to her and the captain. I never did go with them, but I went up there at DJ Ruddy Gun. And mm-hmm. just sat in and watched what they'd done. And then it was pretty much like, there's no opportunities to succeed doing this, right? Right. And so, like I said, I went away and started doing computer science. I was like, this ain't me. And I wanted to transfer. My cousin was in school up in New England Institute of Technology. My mother said, okay, cool. But I had to major in business. So I actually was majoring in business. And then I got a scholarship and I was like, yeah, I should, I want to do radio. No, like radio and TV. And right. literally I was dual majoring. Um, I was dual majoring in business and video and radio production. And I became this, during my time in school, they launched the uh, school radio station. I was the first president of the radio station at school. I used to host the open mics. Then one of my professors was the local, I think he's still the local anchor of one of the uh, TV stations in Rhode Island today. And he really liked me and he liked my accent. He was like, you do great in uh, media sales. And so he made a call for me to one of his friends in the industry. And when I went to the interview, he actually offered me two jobs. And he said, I'm going to leave the room. And by the time I come back, you need to have chosen. So he offered me (laughs) a marketing consultant position as well, Mm -hmm. or a morning show producer position. And if anyone knows, it's really a lot of money in the consultant position versus producer. But I was right. like, I want to learn more on air stuff. So I accepted the morning show producer position. And I was actually producing the morning show, which went number one for the first time ever when I was the producer. And it was a country radio station. Wow. And I also produced Providence Bruins hockey games on the radio, as well as uh, New Bedford high school football games. Prior to that, I didn't mention that I actually got my big break um, by just putting my resume online, monster.com at the time, and started Radio Disney. Oh, okay, cool. And Radio Disney, it was more or less outdoor stuff. Like we would go around and promote different events, host different parties and corporate events. And Mm -hmm. so my boss at Radio Disney to this day is probably one of the most influential people in my life. Um, I keep in touch with her. And um, yeah, even right through to Cat Country. Um, I was at Cat Country Morning Show producer for about a year, and then it was time to come back to Bermuda. Mm. And so I met with the main players in the game at the time and eventually got an opportunity at Inter-Island Communications. And I will forever be thankful to Elroy Smith, Glenn Blakeney, and Scott Pierman for trusting me with their company and Mm. being able to learn and grow with them. And so they gave me... Not only was I in charge of the sales of the company, but I also had a weekend talk show. And that weekend talk show was the vehicle that I used to really push the ending of conscription or the education of conscription. Mm -hmm. And so my media voice, I took responsibility of the movement in media by ensuring that as long as I had a mic in front of me, I will make sure that I educate people on what exactly we're fighting. And yet that education continues with your now projects when you're with you talking about the 4100 radio, the daily hour, you have grocery tunes. Talk to me about how all of these ventures came about. Yeah. So I worked at Hot 107.5 and at Inter-Island Communications for 
three years, 2007 to 2010. And then I went, um, I left to go back to do my master's. Once I completed my MBA, I always wanted to work in tourism and the success that I had at Inter-Island Communications, I thought that I could you know, take to tourism. I was at tourism from 2012 to 2018. And when my position was made redundant, I had some ideas about what I can do and what I should do. And the passion just was not there. Like I'm not passionate about tourism, for instance. What I am passionate about was Bermuda. I loved Bermuda. You know, my goal was making, ensuring that Bermuda was successful. So I had the idea to maybe start a podcast. And so I had reached out to my former colleague who actually replaced me when I left into Island Communications and, you know, wanted to see if she would be interested in, you know, helping do this podcast. Then I also have had a friend at the time who I was like, yo, you know, I want to do a podcast. He told me what equipment to purchase. And, you know, we started working towards a podcast. And then he actually said to me, why don't you just do an online radio station? And so I just like to get stuff done. Don't like waiting on people. And I went, okay. I done some research and there came the full 100 radio station. Out of that, we had a show. It was like a podcast and we launched it with one of the most, <laughs> I mean, it was not a classic interview with a former politician. Uh-huh. That was in August, 2018. In September of 2018, a client who myself and that friend at the time, we had approached back in 2011 had asked, can we provide their business with its own radio station? And I said, mm-hmm. you know, I reached out to him and said, of course. Long story short, one thing led to another. And we now, um, StoreTunes Radio Station is another part of our overall company, which is Bermuda Communications Group, um, where we provide radio stations to businesses throughout Bermuda. And so with the full 100 and StoreTunes, it was just like, man, it's a dream come true to be able to do what you love. And there are people that are in marketplace that don't even know what they're listening to or dancing to or people's pharmacy, you know, or even the airport. Another one. Right. Oh, wow. We love that part. And then, you know, obviously we do the daily hour now. Now, what happened with the daily hour, how that came about? Shanta, my partner and I, we actually had um, discussed when Tom Joyner was ending mm-hmm. his morning show late 2019, we had discussed, you know what, we need a morning show on the full 100 radio station. And at the time it was just going to be audio, right? Right. And then the pandemic, we had planned to begin the show April 1st of 2020. The pandemic came. So mm-hmm. that changed everything. And it changed things for the better as far as, you know, what we were going to do. And right. so we pretty much designed a show that we believed would get buy-in from people. And we had no expectations of what we could do with this show, Mm -hmm. but we collaborated with people and we made it happen. And I am proud of the work that we do. I mean, we've done a lot of stuff in a short amount of time. Yes. Daily hour. I think my proudest moment regarding everything we've done is the election night coverage. Mm. With the daily hour, you still had people that did not know it existed or knew nothing about it. And then, you know, we just came up late, let's host election night coverage. Now there were tons of other people doing it. A local company had asked me, would I consider being a host on their election panel? And I said, well, unfortunately we're doing our own. Mm -hmm. And that was a moment in my life where I realized, wow, like I just turned an opportunity down to 
do some work for someone else because I'm building something and collaborating with others. And so I'm proud. You know, I don't look at what we do as competing with people. Mm -hmm. I believe in collaboration. I believe like we're a family of people that are trying to do something. And at the end of the day, there are different strokes for different folks. And I think the daily hour, we have a core audience that we engage with and talk to every day. And we literally are just trying to have a level of conversation that, which is what the motto of the show is to improve our community one episode at a time after every episode, after every episode, we should be able to say, you know what? That was good. Why? Because people learned this from this show today. And took something from it. Mm-hmm. And if you haven't tuned into it, you must, because it is an array of conversation, different guests, funny things. You have Carla Zool. And what is the other young lady's name? Jackie Lambert. Jackie Lambert. I knew it was Lambert, but I couldn't remember her first name. And um, you guys just bring an array of different personalities that help to, as you say, start the conversations or have conversations and get a message across along with it, with your variety of guests. Shameless plug, I was on the show, so I was very excited. (laughs) And when Jamal asked me, I was like, what, who, me, why? But, you know, it was a great opportunity. And I want to say it was my first, I guess, online interview as well. Nervous as heck, but it um, it was good stuff. And I so appreciate that. And also then you guys are also on channel 82 here in Bermuda and had my stepmother like going crazy, like, oh my God, Sherry's on TV. I was like, what? (laughs) (laughs) That was a cool moment for me. (laughs) Yeah. Channel 82 was big actually. And and that idea came from Dr. Kaiwan Brown. Um, Oh, okay. Yeah. You you and Lamoon should work together. And Lamoon, let me just say, he's an amazing guy. You know, yeah. I mean, he's an amazing individual. He's a visionary and I'm happy to work with him. You know, I want to go back to something, you know, I spoke about collaboration, not competition. Yes. I learn stuff from everyone. We are in this to learn and become better from each other. Mm-hmm. I look at Burmese. Burmese set the stage for how social media needs to be in Bermuda. Yeah. You know, I look at Lamoon and the product, it's quality, you know, local right. content. We have to support one another. We have to collaborate with one another. So I'm really thankful for everything that he does. I'm young to shell being yourself. Everyone oh, in you. continues to really contribute because there's space for all of us. There's space for every last one of us. And the thing is, I think I returned myself as well, living in the States at a period of time, returned in 2008. I remember the conversation about conscription. And then it's funny because I didn't tune in all the time, but for whatever reason, I tuned into your last show, which was crazy. And I kept saying, who's this Jamal Hartman? You know what I mean? And then fast forward, I think until 2016. 16, maybe, or 17. I happen to be, you know, in Bermuda, everybody has different jobs, driving taxi for Chris Famous. And I was telling him about my radio experience on Vibe 103. And he was like, you should reach out to Jamal Hartman and speak to him. And he gave me your number. I was scared and nervous to reach out to you. I don't know why. (laughs) but I just was. So I never did. And I was like, okay. And I think I started to write something. Then I stopped. I did that for a few times. And this is your first time hearing that, but, and then kind of fast forward to now, then to have met you and so forth. And so it's just, like you said, collaboration, because I tune into the daily hour here and there and get to learn something each and every day. And especially from yourself and Carla, who has been on, on this podcast as well. So I appreciate all 
all of that. What is the future for all of your ventures? Honestly, just to keep growing. And and as we grow, linking up with other people, when I say collaboration, I mean it. So as we grow, I'm creating opportunities for other people to join in and collaborate with us. You know, there's no end game to this. Mm -hmm. I help people. I never used to like the quote, the sky's the limit. No, we keep going. We keep going. And so every day I wake up and I just say, today will be better than the day before. Mm -hmm. And, you know, some people be like, well, what if you had a great day? There's always room for improvement, no matter what we're doing. So when I look at what we're doing, you know, people have receiving it well and so on, but we have a lot of room to improve, a long way to go. And so I look at it honestly as, you know, be proud of the work we've done, but we can do even better and we will do even better, but it's going to take a lot of work. You know, a lot of people speak about passion and I am passionate about it, but the work ethic is so important. You can have all the passion in the world, but if you don't have that work ethic, if you're not hungry and you don't have a desire to get things done, you might have some challenges. And if you are privileged to be on Jamal's WhatsApp statuses, he gives the, you know, I don't know where you find this stuff, but it is also always inspiring to me to see some of the statuses that you put up. So keep that up. But in ending our interview, I always ask everybody, what is your head? What is your happiness, empowerment, and development? Honestly, it's really ensuring that I'm doing enough to improve the lives of people around me, family, friends, and just the overall community. I always say that I just want to ensure that I'm doing enough to make sure that those coming behind me have it a bit easier. No, they're still going to have work to do, mm-hmm. but that's what makes me happy. I want to ensure that every day when people listen or see me, that they're empowered by something. Um, it's not easy, you know, getting up early every morning. You know, I try to live a life that is not one way off beer and another way on beer. It has to yeah. be consistent. So when I wake up ever since we've done this show and I go for a two mile jog every morning, this is not something that was normal for my life before. <laughs> you know, you could not pay me to run half a mile before we started the daily hour. But right. you know, we can't speak about wellness. We can't speak about improving in life if we're not doing it, if we're not living it, because guess what? The Daily Hour is a visual show, right? Mm-hmm. And if people start seeing <laughs> this space is bigger, well, oh, here's a fraud. No, it's really about being yourself. You know, I think I've been around this for quite a time and I've been to some radio conferences as well. Mm-hmm. And one thing they said is people are going to love you for who you really are. Absolutely. Whether you tell them or whether someone else tells them. Mm-hmm. They'll love you or hate you for who you really are, but you want them to find out who you really are from you, not anyone else. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, we appreciate you coming on, Jamal. And hopefully this won't be your first time. I think I'm going to bring you back on again. I don't know then, but it's going to be soon. <laughs> it's been a pleasure. It's been a pleasure. Thank you very much for having me. And I, again, I've listened to a couple episodes as well, and I, I really love what you're doing. Um, I like you. I mean, you got you're, you're good at what you do, and I just hope that no one is discouraged by you know. I say to people all the time, you know, if you're beginning a show, if you have one viewer or one listener, keep going. Keep going. Keep yeah. going. Because that one can turn into two, turn into three, turn into four. 
But I think a lot of times people get discouraged. So mm-hmm. keep going, keep pushing. And that's what I do on my WhatsApp status. I got a lot of that stuff from LinkedIn. I'm big on LinkedIn, right? Yes. And I tell people, just keep going, keep pushing. You will be okay, but you've got to want it. You've got to be hungry and you've got to work for it. It's not going to come easy. And with that, thank you. That was such an awesome episode. Collaboration is key to the mindset of being able to be successful moving forward. In this episode, Jamal touched on many collaborations that he made throughout his life, collaborated with a young man that helped him go to school. He collaborated with somebody else through radio that he has now kept in and is still significant in his life. He continues to collaborate with others and highlights that that's not competition, along with collaborating with others with Bermudians Against the Draft that helped to end conscription. If you don't take anything else away from this episode, Collaboration is a key point. If you want to be successful, we must collaborate and not compete. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Check out Jamal's Instagram, jamalhartman.com, the full 100, the daily hour that is on Facebook every morning at eight o'clock Atlantic Central Time and so forth. Jamal has a lot to offer the community. We appreciate him. Thanks, Jamal. Thanks for joining us this week on Giving Head, the podcast. And make sure you check us out on Instagram and Facebook for more information on this head episode. And as always, subscribe to the show to catch every new head episode and leave us a review so we can continue to bring you that good head. See you next time. Ciao for now. Bye.